Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. One of our luckiest things uh, that happened is that parallel to the time where we started to sell, there was a component shortage, component allocation issue in the industry. It was very hard to get inverters. If you are a small company that has inverters, even if you're not a proven brand, they are willing to take in inverters from you. That allowed us, in the first months only, allowed us to ramp up production and to actually have revenues, some of which people, I must admit, people bought the solution, not because they thought it was amazing, because they couldn't get inverters from someone else. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as a startup nation, the state of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and of course their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. Here are a couple of trivia questions for you. Question number one. What is the most abundant source of energy in the world? Question two. What is the cheapest energy source in the world? The answer? Solar. Last year alone, nations installed 98.9 gigawatts of new solar power capacity. and the U.S. alone, $17 billion was invested into the solar industry. At the heart of why solar power is attractive is its cost and the fact that it offsets 76 million metric tons of CO2 emissions per year. Now, since 2010, the cost of installing solar has dropped by over 70%, which explains its rapid global growth. Now, here's a factoid you may be surprised about. Which country leads the world in solar power? The answer? China. The United States of America is second, and India is third. But for all of its successes, solar power faced significant headwinds and inefficiencies along the way. Many people questioned its viability to become a ubiquitous power source, which brings us to an Israeli company called SolarEdge. SolarEdge was founded by five friends who worked closely together in the Israeli army. They happened upon an idea to pursue building a global company that would make solar far more efficient than it was at that time. And today, SolarEdge is a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ with a market capitalization of over $2 billion. They operate in 25 countries and have over 2,000 global employees. And here's the story of how it all started and how they built the company. We're here today with Lior Handelsmann, one of the co-founders of SolarEdge. SolarEdge is a publicly traded Israeli company whose market cap today is just north of $2 billion, and they've grown quite rapidly in the past few years. Uh, so first of all, Lior, thank you very much for taking time from your schedule to be with us. I know that you're, <laughs> you travel a lot. You're, you're a very busy person, and it's a great honor for us to, to have you today. Thank you very much. It's, uh, happy to be here. So let's start just for a few minutes about you and, and where you grew up and, and your story. So I'm a, a born and raised in, uh, in uh, Tel Aviv uh, and did probably the, the, the normal, usual type of uh, uh, career path uh, for many Israelis. My career started in, uh, in the military where I did uh, many things, most of them technical around uh, electrical engineering and uh, where I met amazing people and more, many of them are still my friends till this day. And at some point, uh, while uh, um, contemplating one position to another position, which was uh, more senior, I was talking with uh, a few friends and we kind of like started to discuss what is better. Should we stay for one more role in the military or should we uh, maybe um, try out something new? And uh, we decided that it's an optimal time because 
five of us were like in between roles and we said that's a rare opportunity where five friends which work together and we did many interesting things together are between roles that's a great opportunity to jump out together and start a company so you were a technical kind of person growing up and technology was, was yeah, a yeah, yeah I was I, I, I was always a technical kind of person I always uh, enjoyed playing with uh, electronics and hardware and software I was uh, one of the first kids in Israel that had uh, a computer I was one of the first that uh, had uh, what was before the internet uh, a BBS service which was a dial-up modem type of I remember uh, those days yeah data service <laughs> very loud uh, very loud yeah exactly <laughs> and I was also uh, playing with electronics since probably the age of eight. Wow. Now, you actually got a BS in electrical engineering before you joined yeah, the so, Army. So, so I was uh, what's called an um, um, academic reserve. So Atuda. Ba- yeah, Atuda. So basically, I, 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 I did my uh, BSc degree uh, before my service and, uh, and served in the military as an engineer. And you wanted to do that from, from day one? Yes. Okay. So you joined the army, you met five people who you worked very closely with. Right. And at the end of your, I guess for, for, you were served in the IDF for 10 years, actually. 10 years, yes. And so you finished in 2005. Um, I guess part of that army service, you also got an MBA from Technion. Right. And that was uh, 2003. Right. So you were served for 10 years, the five of you together, and you came towards the end of your service. Yeah, I guess by by then I was managing a, a, a bigger group. I was managing a, a, a much larger group. All of us were at different managerial roles. One of us uh, was was the head of the unit that we served at. Uh, at a certain point of time, we were all oscillating between uh, various roles. Um, yeah, and we decided that uh, if we are all kind of like free agents at a certain uh, point in time, Maybe we should try our luck uh, and form a startup. At that point, we left the military. We, we it, it was a busy time, so we had no time to think of an idea while serving. So uh, we left the military. We formed the company, uh, not knowing what we will do. There was no technological idea. We said, we'll form a company and then and so then you think. were you were people you were a team in search of an idea exactly. in search of a company exactly. you had no idea what you were going to no do no idea exactly and 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 we started to look for various ideas we had lots of ideas uh, we thought of cool things around imaging only to find out that they are already patented by some companies and we were around so many technology fields thinking of a of an idea researching it either understanding that there is no market need or understanding that the the, the a similar idea is already implemented um, at a certain point we've We've zeroed down on a solution to manage um, power sources in mobile devices, not necessarily mobile phones, but laptops and anything that has batteries and is portable. It was basically a programmable uh, ASIC, a programmable chip to manage power in portable electronics. And it was quite unique in the way we wanted to manage power, in the, in the flexibility of the architecture of the, of the ASIC solution. We decided that's a good enough idea. Yeah, we wrote a patent on, two on it, and we sta- started to talk to venture company firms and look for investment. So you, you started the company without an investment. Yes. And then once you came up with the idea, then you said, okay, let's go try to get funded. At, at a certain point, still, it, it was a very long process. So at a certain point, we took some seed money that was given to us based on the team, not based on an idea. So we found a, a, a seed money from people that believed in us, not believed uh, just based on our past record. Good investors, uh, they say, good investors invest in the jockey, not the horse, right? right. They invest so, in the so, team and less so the idea. So here definitely uh, uh, someone or, uh, believed in us as, as a team, and, and this was our seed investment. 
Uh, and then uh, with this idea of power management ICs, chips for managing power, we started to talk to numerous uh, venture firms. And I must say that there was not, um, nobody was really enthusiastic. People said it's a very good idea and technologically it looks very interesting and very novel, but... That's code word for being nice. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, so they're like, most, oh, it's a great idea, most, but, you know. Most venture investors just told us, very interesting, uh, let's be in touch, which is right, code, code word name for, for, for don't yeah. call us, uh, we'll call you, uh, or we will not call you. Uh, at a certain point, I met a venture firm in Texas, which had a lot of experience in power management ICs. So this was uh, this venture partner who... who which firm is that? Seven Rosen. This venture partner, he, he, um, he already had a company that manages ICs, sold it to Texas Instruments, uh, so was very, very experienced and uh, very, very knowledgeable. And he told, look, the, the idea and the topology is very nice, very interesting, very, very good. The market is not a good market. You are in a market where there are very big players like TI, like National Semiconductors and others. And you will eventually, you will fail in selling your solution to the real big players. Back then, Nokia was a real big player or uh, Dell or Lenovo. You will fail in because the big companies will not let you touch the big customers. They will always bundle their solution and you will be this niche solution for power management that will be very hard to penetrate the big accounts. And at some point, the big companies are going to buy buy you out at a small two-digit million-dollar figure, $10 million, $20 million. Do you want to work for 10 years and sell the company for $10 million? If not, go find a different market. That was you know actually, what? That was good advice. Very good advice. That actually uh, changed your life. Yes, amazing. And uh, How long did the process take for you guys to like, you were looking at a lot of different ideas, you were throwing things around. How long did that process take? Uh, there were other things to do back then. Uh, we we were spread around various ideas, but I think at this point we were already six months six into months. looking okay. uh, into ideas, or maybe a little bit less, but roughly six months. Uh, came back to Israel, everybody except Guy, Guy, our CEO, which was the head of the unit. He was still on on another business trip, also related to the to 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 our uh, ideas. Um, we uh, started to think of other markets and we started to list markets which are interesting for our power management solution. Solar energy was, I don't remember the number, but it was way down in the list. I, maybe it was 14 and maybe it was 24. I don't remember. It was way, way down. We had like, mainly because we didn't know it's a big market. In Israel back then, there was no solar energy. The only solar I knew was solar in satellites and aerospace applications. So it, but they do have the, the dude Shemesh, the, yeah, the, but the that's, solar panels. That's, that's, that's not what we're talking that's about. That's thermal solar. It's okay. not a photovoltaic. The only photovoltaic I knew back then was in satellites and aerospace uh, applications, which is a very small market. So I said... Uh, I think we can do great things with solar, but it's such a small market. So we deprioritized that way, way down the list. Uh, and I remember that we divided number one and number two and number three. And if you ask me what were number one and, and number two and number three, I don't remember. Between us to say, okay, let's go do market research. Let's go uh, if adapt the solution to these one, two, three top uh, priority ideas. A uh, few hours later, Guy landed in Israel. Guy already had some experience in venture capital back then. He walked into the room, he looked at the board, and he said, solar energy, solar energy is going to be really big. If we have something in solar energy, I think it's worth looking. So, and this is in 2006? This is in 2006, yes. So basically, from priority something, uh, we switched to priority one, and it was amazing. We looked at the way solar systems are done. It's all uh, uh, taking the solar panels, connecting them in these strings, like connecting batteries in series, and then connecting these strings to a solar inverter, which converts from DC to AC. And in that decision to put the solar panels in series, you are losing a lot of energy, and you're losing the ability to monitor the system, and you, there are a lot of disadvantages. It's just very simple. You take these 
blocks of solar panels, every one of them is a few tens of volts, 30 volts, 40 volts, and you turn them into a high voltage source, high voltage, high power, and it all goes to the inverter. And back then, all inverter companies were industrial companies competing mainly on one parameter, which is the inverter efficiency. And we said it doesn't make sense. It's the wrong system. If you would manage every panel individually, you could get more energy out of the systems and you can add data and telemetry and safety and make the installation simpler and faster. And we saw that there is no good solution uh, and our power topology could be easily applied to solar energy. So that's what we did. How did you vet the idea that there would be a business behind it? So once we saw that it technically makes sense and that we can pencil in the numbers of the cost and the performance and everything like that, uh, we, we wanted to see indeed if there's a market. Um, no market in Israel, so we could not do anything in Israel. Uh, the closest major market was the German market. Um, even the U.S. market back then, 2006, was at its infancy. Uh, but Germany was already becoming a major market. So we started to, to um, try and meet uh, German installers, German module, company, uh, module companies, is, uh, panel companies, and other German players, uh, research institutes in Germany and, and other places uh, to vet ideal. Yeah, we had like a 10 second discussion. Should we keep the company stealth and develop a lot of technology before we go talk to these guys? And it doesn't make sense. I don't think it makes sense to anyone. As long as you're not talking to a potential competitor, but you're talking to a potential customer, and you are a little bit careful with what you say, you have to do it. You learn, we learned so much from these uh, people that we met and... I get that a lot. A lot of people, um, you know, young entrepreneurs who have, you know, big ideas walk around with NDAs in their hands. And I often say to them, look, no one's going to sign an NDA. You know, if, you're, if your idea is that big and you've got a good team, you're going to give it the chance. But, you know. There is no harm in trying to get an NDA, of course. There is no harm. In many cases, you can get an NDA. I've seen startups and companies which... Um, do not talk to the market because they want to keep the idea confidential. And that is usually a mistake. Unless you're a real, real, real industry expert, you know, you spent 20 years in X industry and now you want to develop a new solution in that industry and you are an industry expert, then it might make sense to develop everything without uh, feedback from the market. But if you're not an industry expert, and we were not industry experts, we, we knew nothing about solar energy, a market and what goes on in, in the market when we started, the only way to make sure that you're actually developing something good is to, 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 to talk to the market. That's the only way to become an expert. At a certain point where we were already a little bit more advanced, we raised uh, round A, uh, we, we, we already had a proof of concept, which we continuously worked on even before round A. We even took it a step further and we started talking to these companies and signing them on something which was called the design partner agreement, which basically says you don't own us anything except for feedback and guidance on the solution. And you must test the solution once we have it ready, which was later, later, a year <laughs> later, a year and a half later. And in return... Assuming we have a product in the market, you will get preferred pricing or preferred uh, commercial terms, which is a very lightweight. They don't commit to buying anything, which makes it very easy to, to or relatively easy to get them signed. And on, and on the other hand, they don't give a lot. They give knowledge and maybe testing a product which looks interesting. For us, it was invaluable. For us, they didn't was, view you as a competitor. No, no, because we did not go to inverter companies. There were competition. To them, do not go with a new idea to a potential competitor. We went to customers. Someone that if we had a solution, they would be a potential customer for it. And that was invaluable for us because A, we had design partner agreements to show, in, to show investors. These guys are being taken seriously by the market. And B, not knowing anything about the market, we had product feedback from 
market experts, which was invaluable. Um, actually, in order to get round day, we had our biggest, I think probably till this date, one of our biggest business dilemmas and product dilemmas. Uh, our solution, the patent is around optimizing and adding a component to, to the solar panel. But then we had two product routes to take, which are basically two go-to-market routes to take, whether we make this product to work with every inverter on the market. And now it is kind of like an add-on solution which can work with every inverter in, uh, in the market. Uh, but then we need to do integration with all these inverters in the market. How many inverters were there? There were probably like 25, 30 okay. different companies of which... The lion's share of the market was with six. Uh, one of them was half the market, a German company called SMA. Uh, or the, what we wanted to do, we wanted to develop the whole solution, develop the optimizer part and the solar inverter, which makes it a much, much more complicated company. We now need to develop also a solar inverter, which is a big part, piece of electricity electronics and be able to sell it to the market with after-service sales and support and basically compete with these inverter companies. And at that point, it was very hard to find investors. This was just before round day. And most of the investors we spoke to were leaning on develop a component. We've heard things like Israeli companies are not good industrial companies. They will they are not good in selling a solution. Israeli companies are not good in doing marketing and sales and after service sales and all of that. Develop develop a small component and then go convince all the inverter mark, uh, companies to work with you. Way less risk. And we didn't see it like that because we actually saw it the other way around. We thought that it's a bigger risk. Why is it a big... Technologically, yes, it's a much smaller risk. Instead of developing this huge system, you develop just one component. The risk is much smaller. Now, this was what year? So, so you launched this, the company in 2006. No, but so this was already 2007, around the mid of 2007. Okay, so we're, we're approaching the, the crisis. I mean... About what? About a year before uh, uh, the More crisis. than a year before. The, okay. The, so you didn't have a problem yet at that point. Raising no, money. no, 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 no. People wanted to invest in solar energy back then. It was a problem of uh, go to market. We wanted to develop the whole system and become a real player in the market. And they said develop a component which is much less risk on the R and D side, um, and also a simpler go to market in, in in the sense that once you find one or two or three inverter companies to run with you, they are pushing your product to the market. So you don't need to develop sales and marketing uh, uh, um, and, and support and manufacturing. Everything seems is And you also have a clear candidate for buying you later. Assuming this works well, one of these companies is the natural candidate to buy you. And we wanted to be a much larger company. We wanted to be a market player. And most of all, we did not feel that we we saw this as a bigger risk because there are like six, ten large players. And what happens if they all say no? So you develop a component, you go preach to these six, ten companies, they all say no. And now you just lost maybe a year, maybe two years, uh, and you're stuck. You have no access to the market. It was actually not trivial to find investors that were willing to... Because we, we, we felt that the technology risk, we develop X or we develop 5X of technology. Technology is what we know how to do. Uh, there was a risk in building manufacturing capabilities and marketing and sales, of course, but we felt that the bigger risk is in finding a partner, an OEM partner to take us to the market. Uh, eventually, we found investors that were willing to do it our way. We had an investment offer from at least one or two venture firms that said, abandon your uh, megalomaniac plans and we will invest in the company, but we in I must say that we insisted. Because that would have been a much easier path, right? You had people willing to offer you money. It would, in their mind, Indeed. it was lower risk, but you were you were insistent. Yes, and 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 here it helps. Which that turned out to be a great move. 
it turned out to be, you know, you never know. It's like Schrodinger's cat, uh, cat right? You never know. Once you, you went one path, you never know what, uh, where the other path would have taken you. But um, uh, we kind of can guess because there were apparently a few months even later or a year later, we learned that there are other companies working on, a, on, on similar ideas. You never have the, the, the you are, you, it's rarely that you think of something that no one else thinks right. of. So there were other companies with similar optimization ideas. All of them went the OEM track and none of them succeeded. Now, again, you can never know. Maybe we could have succeeded in that track, but most of them that didn't succeed didn't succeed exactly from what we were afraid of. None of the existing incumbent inverter companies would integrate with them. Yeah, I felt we don't have a problem. Uh, this is maybe solving a problem for someone else, but not for us as an inverter company. It adds complexity. We don't want it. Uh, we didn't have that problem. We had many other problems, but we didn't have that problem because we had our own inverter. So we had an independent channel to the market, which was very good for us. And then when we actually had a product uh, comes... came the probably the the first or the or the second uh, uh, um, opportunity where luck showed because luck is super important and uh, no matter what someone tells you about <laughs> their success without luck without luck there is no success gotta have a little muzzle yeah so one of our luckiest things uh, that happened is that parallel to the time where we started to sell, there was a component shortage, component allocation issue in the industry. It was very hard to get inverters. And if you are a small company that has inverters, even if you're not a proven brand, companies cannot get inverters, and there was a boom in solar systems back then, they are willing to take in inverters from you. That allowed us, in the first months only, allowed us to ramp up production and to actually have revenues. Some of which people, I must admit, people bought the solution, not because they thought it was amazing, because they couldn't get inverters from someone else. They didn't have a choice. Look, you That's need luck muzzle. always. <laughs> exactly. And we were lucky enough also that they liked what they got. And many of these companies stayed as customers, even when they could get inverters from others, because they saw the benefits. Now, just uh, going back to, to sort of more towards the beginning, You were five people mm -hmm. in pursuit of this solution for the solar industry. Right. How did you guys divide and conquer your responsibilities? I mean, it, you know, you're early on, you, the most important thing was developing a product. Right. So, uh, so it was easy to determine who's the CEO. Guy was our uh, boss at the military. He was... Something's never changed. Yeah, no, and, he, and, he, and he's older and he's uh, more experienced and he's super smart. It was very easy to say, Guy will be the CEO. There was no dilemma there. Uh, between us, we were all technical people. In fact, from the entire team, the only one with power electronics experience was me. Uh, initially, we just all developed, right? So everybody works in the lab and I was leading more of the, the power side and the others did the... Uh, uh, um, Uh, uh, contribute so everyone developed it was a, a equal share of everyone doing the development uh, at some point when we needed to find these design partners uh, we needed to decide who's going to take on the more external business development uh, market size side of things and here um Do you know what's the difference between an introvert engineer and an extrovert engineer? Nope. So an introvert engineer, when he talks to you, he continuously looks at his shoes. And an extrovert engineer, when he talks to you, he looks at your shoes. So I like that. Within, <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> within the team, I'm the extrovert engineer. So it was clear that I have more of a tendency and ability to talk to, to customers and to do business development. Because it's interesting, you, you guys were, were tech people right. in the army right. with no sales experience, no marketing. I mean, you're, you're, you run marketing for, for the Marketing, for the product, at product that point also sales. Yes. Sales, yeah. you had none of that experience. You were just five guys that had, you know, right. good working relationship. Yeah, I, 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 
I work with many startups and I tell them that when, when they recruit people, they need to remember the rule that the only people that are allowed not to know what they're doing are the founders. <laughs> so I, I tell them, if you recruit someone for sales, make sure he's a sales expert because you'd know, you probably don't know, make sure he knows more than you about sales. So yes, we had the luxury of being founders, so we had to learn. Within the team, I was the extrovert one more, so I, I, I went and did the, the business development, product definition, market requirements, marketing, initially sales also. And Guy was the CEO, and the rest of the team was divided within the different various technical tasks, tasks sorry. Um, so that's how we divided. So you, you fell into this wonderfully lucky situation of where the world needed inverters. You guys had designed and built your own. You were selling those and generating revenue. Right. Your first year of generating revenue, how'd you guys do? So first of all, once we had real sales, the minute we had real sales, the first person we went and recruit was a professional in selling. Okay. Right, so it was clear that if we want to grow, it is uh, as much as I uh, think that uh, 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 founders are great, we needed professionals. So the first person we went out and recruited was a professional sales guy to build our sales and marketing uh, 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 organization. Um, and, and that was a great contributor to actually selling. Right. In the first year, it's not like for the first, we, we, it was irresponsible even for the first months not to have a sales professional. Um, you manufacture here in Israel? Initially, yes. We started by manufacturing here in Israel, in a, in a contract man, manufacturer here in Israel. And at some point, we, we moved out to bigger factories around the world. Did you, you outsource that or you, you did it yourself, the manufacturing in Israel? So all of our manufacturing is outsourced to contract manufacturers. From the very beginning, it was clear and even clearer today. We, we control and define everything. We define, of course, the components and the bomb and the manufacturing process and the tools even and the processes in the factory. We, we make the testing equipment and the, to some point, even the manufacturing equipment, we just outsource the labor to a contract manufacturer. Um, the labor and building, right? So we don't own the building, but we, in many cases, we even own the machinery on the production lines. Uh, so yes, it was outsourced. It's still outsourced to large CMs around the world. Um, so, so what was your revenue that first year? I'm trying to remember. So don't... Uh, it's, it's just a... I'm curious. Millions? Millions, yes. Millions, okay. yes. But uh, I just don't remember if it was 10 million or 12 million or 8 million, but something around that, 12 million. And, and that was, again, 2000 and... That was 2010. The, 10. the first okay. year of revenue, real revenue was... Uh, first sale was in July or June 2009. A real year of selling where we had a sales professional and actually selling... It was uh, was 2010. So you you raised your your first round of capital. 2007. Seven. So you had about two years of development or two, two years of years development, and we had another round in between, which was right on the rough spot. The the the. So we 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 did a. I clearly remember we did a demo, a technological demo in Munich for many companies in the market in June 2008. And when we brought custom, potential customers back then to the demo, in between every potential customer, we brought a potential investor because we were close to opening another investment round. And everybody were interested because they could see here goes this big customer and he goes that big customer and here's a working system. And everyone said, once you start a financing round, call me. Uh, we actually plan to start the financing round at October 2008, which was... That wasn't a very good time. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a very was bad time. the worst time, time actually. The worst yeah. time was very complicated. Uh, many of the venture firms would not dare call money at that uh, time. I still have somewhere here the business card from Lehman Brothers Venture uh, Capital, which... Alehema Shalom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, Rest in and, peace. Uh, and... Uh, um, 
It was complicated to find an investor. We venture, we was a little bit touch and go back then. So we were, uh, we, we didn't f- have to fire people, but we reduced the burn rate to minimum levels. And it was kind of like starting to contemplate what we will do because in two months, three months, we were running out of cash. But we found an amazing investor, uh, Vertex Capital, uh, and, 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 and had a very good and large $23 million round B. And, and, that, and that was when again? That was, I think, February or March 2009. Okay. And they really did save you. <laughs> they, they were excellent investors. Uh, I think that they don't regret investing in SolarEdge. Um, when you were out, I mean, I guess you didn't have too, too many choices, but what did you look for in an investment partner? It's always the same, okay? And, I, and it's true for all of our investors. You look for a company that can be with you for the long run. Okay, so it's, a, it's, it's an investor which is big enough, serious enough, uh, uh, with a fund that is not uh, too exhaust because it was clear that uh, round A and round B are not going to be enough for what we were aiming. We were aiming for a large company selling a billion dollars, and for that you need... Deep pockets. And also patience, okay? You don't want an investor that would, uh, within two years, uh, become impatient and want to... to to see a fast exit, because we didn't, we were not looking for a fast exit. And the other thing is that you want an investor firm, an investor partner that can actually bring you value. You want to get money from someone that when that person sits on your board, they are wise and they can give you experience, advice, good contacts, good networking. In what way specifically did Vortex, aside from the money, Vertex, sorry. Aside from the money, in what way did Vertex help you build a company? So all of our investors, once they invest, they add a representative to the board. And the board is a valuable uh, source of of, uh, advice and guidance and uh, and, uh, experience. And again, you need investors that when... When is your uh, investor being uh, uh, tested? When things are not going so well. So very nice to sell, but there were tough years. 2012 or 2011, 12 was a year referred to as the solar corridor, where the solar market was very, very, very competitive. Many companies went out of business. It was very tough. At a year like that, you want investors that have patience and endurance and believe in the company and the team, and also give you good advice when they think that you're doing something wrong. An investor that at that point becomes either hysterical or tries to look for the fast exit or relays the frustration, which is shared between you and the investor on what's going on in the market and relays that frustration on you, that's not the best investor you, you can have. Understanding, of course, that sometimes the, f- the, the, the management team can make mistakes. You want an investor that can highlight that without uh, 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 um, too much uh, escalation. Right. Uh, so, so I can say that for all of our investors uh, along the way, that they were great and they helped us. And um, uh, it's important to, to marry the right people and to marry the right investors. For, for our for our listeners who may not be as knowledgeable about the space, mm-hmm. can, can you describe, like, in a very basic term, what SolarEdge does? Yes. So, so first of all, today we do much more, but let's start right. with the very basic. Solar panels, again, you can think of them as batteries. They have, they emit DC voltage. And that uh, DC voltage is uh, relatively low, but in order to connect to the actual electricity grid, you need higher DC voltage, and that higher DC voltage you need to convert into AC. So the basic solution, the incumbent solution that was in the market before SolarEdge was let's take the solar panels, connect them in strings of 10 or 12 solar panels, and then parallel strings. So think of it like powering your remote with uh, 100 batteries instead of two batteries. 
And now take all that power and voltage and connect it to the inverter. The inverter does two things. First of all, it brings the panels to the right working point because only at the right working point you get maximum power. And second, it converts from DC to AC. Before SolarEdge, all inverter companies, uh, the competitive edge was efficiency. The best inverter in, in the market in 2006 had 96% conversion efficiency. So 4% goes to waste and 96% goes into the grid. That's and, pretty good. Yeah, very good. And there were 95 and 96.5 and that was the main competition. What's a good inverter? Uh, I have a 96% conversion uh, efficiency inverter. What we saw is once you take all these panels, you connect them in series, you kind of got, get the Christmas light effect if you have one panel which is weaker than the other because it's shaded or soiled or just manufactured weaker, it reduces the production of all the rest. And if you have several of these strings in parallel, it even affects other strings. And not only that, again, think of the remote example. If I give you a, a remote control with 100 batteries and I tell you that one of them is bad, how can you find a bad battery? Very hard. Now you have all these panels on the roof. You have absolutely no idea if they're working and how they're working and who's faulty and who's weak. Uh, so we realized that when you go this way, yes, you get 96% of the, of the energy that get into the inverter out the other end, but you keep 10, 20% of the potential energy these panels could have made on the roof because of this serial connection and this structure. Very simple structure, but also very foolish system-wise. So we invented this small solution, which is called the power optimizer. It sits behind every panel, and it makes sure that every panel gives you the optimal for that panel. They are not affected anymore by the other panels, even though they are connected in strings. And it gives you data and telemetry on the performance of every panel. And you so if one panel wasn't performing well, you know about it. Yes. You don't have to so check those we batteries. We developed this uh, cloud solution that connects to the inverter and gives you a full visibility on your solution. And you can even shut down the panel, which why would you want to shut down the panel? Actually, it's a very important safety feature for installers yeah, because it's high voltage. Makes sense. Yeah. Which comes from the sun. You cannot shut down the sun, so you cannot shut down the system. It's dangerous for installers and dangerous for firefighters. Once it becomes dangerous for firefighters, fire insurance premiums go up. It's all bottom line money. So it saves ma uh, maintenance and it makes the installation simpler. I won't go into why. And it gives you anything between 2 to 25% added energy from the system. And you still need a, an inverter to go AC, but that inverter can amazingly be much simpler now because some of the heavy lifting is done on the roof. So we invented this system, which is an inverter, which is a web-connected inverter that goes to a cloud solution and the optimizers on the roof. And when you go SolarEdge, back then it was only SolarEdge, when you go SolarEdge, you get a safer solution, a cheaper solution, added energy solution, better maintenance solution, easier to install, better roof utilization, many advantages. Uh, today, uh, we are the largest uh, inverter provider in the world. In How many panels do you have uh, that, that you're on? More than 30 millions already. Uh, uh, so we now at an approximate, approximate rate, don't we are a public company, everything I, I say, there's a lawyer somewhere listening, but Absolutely. Uh, approximately 1 million of these optimizers every month that we make. Wow. Um, we're the largest inverter uh, provider worldwide. Other companies already have went this solution. This solution is now referred to as module-level power uh, solution for uh, systems, which is now the probably, I don't know the exact number, but a large percentage of the market uh, uh, is already module-level a solution aiming for most of the market uh, in the foreseeable future because it is a better way. In the U.S. market, which is a very large market, SolarEdge alone, in the let's take the U.S. Res residential market, which is uh, uh, more than a gigawatt a year of solar systems, SolarEdge alone is 50% of the market. Wow. Uh, so, wow. So, so, so because it's a good system, it's a good solution. And, 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 and more and more companies are adopting uh, this solution. 
we needed the ability to sell inverters in the beginning in order to be able to prove to the market how good an idea it is. Now we sell inverters because we are a large inverter company, okay? Much of our revenue comes from, from the inverters. But without that decision to develop also the inverter and have direct access to the market, it's very hard to prove how good this solution is. Yes, that's why, why... Now, does that remain your core business today? So inverters have evolved since uh, when we started. In the beginning, inverters were exactly what I said. Let's convert from DC to AC, feed the power to the grid, and be done with it. Uh, and that was great because solar energy was such a small power source in the total mix of power on the grid. So solar systems, you just feed energy into the grid, and the grid will manage Today, solar energy is a very large uh, power source. Even there are days in, uh, in Europe where 100% of the, of the power comes from uh, renewable and a big part of the power comes from solar. I actually, uh, saw, I actually saw a statistic um, published by the Solar Energy Industries Association mm -hmm. that says in the past decade, the solar industry has grown annually by an average of 59%. Right, because... That's crazy growth. Yeah, because solar is the, is the energy source of the future. And our grid is built in a way today that you have to generate power exactly as much as we consume power. There is no... There's almost no storage on the grid. So, which means that this situation where solar systems feed all the energy they can make, which is midday... The grids cannot sustain that anymore. Utilities are saying, you have solar energy, great, but we will not take your power midday because we don't need it midday. We need it in the evening. We need it sometimes also midday, but not all the time we need all the solar power that, that you can give. That made a real shift in inverters. And now inverters also manage local storage. So we sell now storage systems. If I'm not at home... So you manufacture storage as well? So up until now, we were selling the system, the system control, and the battery uh, it comes from a partner. Today, one of our partners is LG Chem, and we sell with several batteries uh, because solar, solar and storage are becoming one. The, with the reduction in battery price, EV cars, mobile phones. So one way to prevent, to, 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 to be one with the grid is to manufacture energy, store it, and use it when you need it. Another way which our in inverters can do, they interact with the home energy management. And if I have excess solar power, I can heat water because you're gonna need hot water when you come home in the evening, or I can schedule tasks which are not, you know, it's very hard to schedule uh, washing your laundry because you need to preload the machine, but it's much easier to schedule, I don't know, the pool pump. Right. Or pre-cool your home with the air conditioning and in a way that will better utilize energy to be used locally rather than just feed it into the grid. So solar, so inverter systems have become much more complicated now. They interact with the grid, they interact with storage and with uh, energy appliances and with uh, several other systems in a way that works in balance with the grid. So it's much more complicated now. Um, to that point, and since storage is becoming such a big thing of solar, we've recently acquired a South Korean company, which is a maker of lithium-ion cells. As a natural growth, solar and storage are becoming one. Um, and, 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 and even solar inverters today are interacting through cloud services to form what is called a virtual power plant. So if the grid needs support in frequency or in power, then utilities can now interact with a group, with a, with a hive of solar systems as a virtual power plant through a cloud service that we can also provide. So it's, this is all steps in solar energy becoming the dominant source of power on the grid, which will probably take tens of years, but that is the direction. Obviously, um, the company today is... You know, you, you did an IPO in 2015. Right. This is, I guess, four years after your first real revenue, um, right? 2011, 2012 uh, is when you first started generating revenue. Your valuation at the IPO was $778 million. Right. IPO versus being acquired. What was your thought there? 
No, we do not want to be acquired. We never wanted to be acquired. Even if, even if that was an option, it was not an option. It was always the, the intention to, to form a large, international, successful company that would outlast us. That was always the intention. Uh, therefore, IPO was, was a necessary step in that uh, route because hey, we have venture capital investors that need a venue to cash out on their, uh, on their uh, investment. And uh, you are, once you go public, you raise m money from the public, which you can leverage to acquisitions and growth and, and so on. Um, so yes, we IPO'd in March 2015, valuation of, again, I like round numbers, if, which, which makes me a bad finance person. <laughs> so rough, roughly 800 million. As you said today, it's roughly 2 billion and... Your investors are very happy. I would imagine <laughs> so, right? So um, there was even a, a point where we were uh, close to 4 billion, right? So right, it, it right. oscillates with, you know, the trade war changes thing and many, many geopolitical uh, things affect the stock market and... Uh, and Things out of your power, you know. Yeah, right. we, we, we really, really don't try to manage the stock price. We manage the company. We look to the future. We do things that we believe will bring value to the company and subsequently to the investors in the long term, right? So we hear a lot of uh, advice on do this and the stock price will go up, do this. And it, uh, we... we, we we think that our way, which is consistently, or almost consistently, beating market expectations and keeping the company profitable, and we've been profitable even before the IPO, not just revenue generating, profitable, even before the IPO, and in and, and keeping that profitability and growth, in our view, is the way to bring value in, in the long term. How is your management... Um, burden changed since it became public or has it so of course it adds once you go public there are additional things that management needs to do uh, uh, as a public company right so there are of course more corporate governance and more corporate policy which eventually is more work and there's of course uh, 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 some of us need to handle uh, uh, investor relations and there's the annual, uh, uh, we've been doing audited reports internally years before the IPO because we wanted to be ready. But it is still different to have an audited report when you're a public company and, and, and a non-public uh, company with the earning release and all of that. I'm not sure that being public is the is the major step. The major step is now as we acquire companies and we grow non-organically, then there's a lot more of a management burden in managing that. Where do you think this company is going to go in terms of, you know, I think 10, 20 years out? Hearing, we're, we're, hearing the corporate lawyer in my ear ah, saying okay. no all forward right. statements are allowed all right, all right, as right, a public right. company, you it's should fair. be... It's fair. No, but... but uh, uh, 10, 20 years, I think it's fair to say that we aim and we believe uh, that um, we can become a, a major technology provider in the energy world, right? With the acquisition of uh, a COCAM, the South Korean lithium-ion company. Uh, and since then, we've made two other acquisitions, or we also made two other acquisitions. One is an asset acquisition of an Israeli company called Gamatronic, which is a UPS provider. Uh, there are a lot of technological similarities between solar inverters and UPS. And that acquisition is the nucleus of a division which we are building for UPS division. And most recently, uh, SMRE, which is a company in Italy, which uh, designs and develops a um, drivetrain and driveline for electric vehicles. So electric motor, inverter for uh, electric car and all the power electronics around that. Um, because all of these fields are related. If you look at it from a, from a bird's eye view, technologically, it's all 
סטורינג אנרגי, הנה קארס בטרי, או הנה גריד בטרי, או הנה סולאר אנרגי סטורג', קונברטינג איט אינטו דה גריד, או קונברטינג איט פרום דה גריד אינטו דה סטורג', and managing that regime of charging, from a bird's eye view it's all the same, a UPS, of course different markets, different challenges, slightly different technological solutions, once you go a little bit closer, but from a bird's eye view it's all energy. And the aim is to be a very large and leading uh, technology provider for the energy world, the new energy. The energy world is changing. We are moving from a centralized grid where there are power generators and consumers to a distributed grid where everyone is going to be a prosumer. Produce and consume. There's going to be solar energy eventually on every building which will produce energy and then you're going to have to store it locally and use it locally within the building or within the neighborhood. And EV cars are, are a great way to convert and store and transport energy. The grid is going you think cars are going to go solar? No, they don't need to go solar, but a car is an excellent energy source. It's also a very large energy load. Right. When we, are, we all understand that our industry is going to electric car. If everyone has an electric car, think of it this way. We now all finish work, we go home. Everyone arrives home between 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. If we're all going to plug our car at the same time, the grid is not going to be able to sustain that. There needs to be a smart grid solution that manages that. And... It can be time management, you charge at 2 p.m. and I charge at 3 p.m. And it can even be energy sharing. You have a very, very large battery. For now, we'll take energy from your car and move it to my car. Later, we'll complement back into your car. It's all the same. The grid is changing. There is a real grid and energy revolution happening now, starting now. I think we can be the leaders and the center and the, even the winners of this revolution. Thinking back on your experience so far, what was the greatest burden, challenge that you guys had to solve in yeah, order to that's really... That's a very hard question. Every I know. Day. <laughs> I, 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 I must tell you... I know thematically, it, thematically. I, I know yeah. it, it sounds like I'm avoiding the answer, but uh, which I'm not, okay? But we, I literally and honestly, I cannot uh, think of a single meeting in SolarEdge where we ever thought about what happened. maybe except for uh, uh, learning from experience one analyzing what went wrong okay you can find meetings where we analyze what went wrong in order so it won't go wrong again I don't remember a single meeting where we analyze what went right we only look forward I can tell you what's what's the challenges of the future but what was the sing the single big biggest challenge of the past every day is a is a challenge of some sort the five years still here The five of us are still here. And you haven't killed each other yet. The, the opposite. <laughs> the, uh, 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 the five of us are still here, all doing our original uh, roles plus. So, you know, we have much, mu much more people to manage. Okay, so it is now, again, I like round numbers. It's not the accurate number, but it's close to 2,000 people. Uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, spanning uh, 25 countries, uh, spanning different businesses. So all of us have, are doing exactly what we did before, um, plus, which means that uh, we, each and one of us now has a staff. Okay, everyone is managing his own VPs that are responsible for various things, but uh, um, all of us are still here. We see each other much less now. <laughs> so from, from, from a company where the five of us sat in literally the same room, a single room, there are sometimes weeks be, uh, before I see one of the other uh, founders. There's much more management. As I said, the more we grew, we brought in professional managers. So sales, finance, uh, operations, uh, uh, all uh, uh, organizations which are managed by real professionals that we brought in. We are self-taught professionals, uh, uh, but the five of us are still here and we, and we still like each other. What was the moment mm -hmm. where you thought, okay, this is, this is going to be a, a big success? First customer. 
There was a customer in, so first real customer, right? So we had a lot of customers and, uh, and, and, and all of our very, very, very first customers helped us a lot in learning and, and, and understanding. But it's one thing when you have a teaching customer, maybe even here in Israel, that is willing to take a small system from you and, and is uh, 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 literally doing you a favor. Then the point where we had the first real customer, that specific customer was in France, that gets the first container, which I packed these inverters myself with my hands, from the production line and installs them, and has a few issues and asks a few questions, and then says, okay, that was great, I'm going to order. I think first order from that customer was two megawatts of of, of two megawatt peak of uh, inverter. And that was like, wow, someone likes what we do. That was a, a, a real sensation where this, that this can really succeed. Two more questions yeah. and I'll let you go. What motivates you personally? You've done very well. The company is a wild success so far. If, if your career ended today, it would be a wildly successful career. Looking forward, what personally motivates you? The amazing thing about SolarEdge uh, is that every two years, the company really transforms itself. So from, we're all doing every two years and sometimes even faster. So from we're all doing a, a, a just R&D, which was, I, know how to, I knew how to do R&D. We were doing R&D, five friends working together and buying components, uh, used components sometimes because we don't have a lot of money. Um, and then I got this challenge of doing business development and finding people that are willing to listen to us even, which was something I never did before, flying around and knocking on doors and convincing people to maybe sign an NDA or a design partner agreement. Widely uh, uh, exciting for me because I never did it before. And of course, at some point it becomes uh, boring. And then now we have real customers. Now we have to actually develop the the marketing and the sales and how do we sell and how do we resell and how do we manage the pipeline of sales. Again, very exciting for me because I never did it before. Um, and at some point uh, we said, okay, that is working really great. Now we need to start building a global organization. Very hard thing to say, okay, we are now moving from IMIT or the VP sales or someone here from headquarters meet every customer to a point where you take people abroad, you trust them completely, they meet customers, you just need to give them the knowledge and the tools how to sell, so how to build a global organization. Wow, exciting. I never did it before. Uh, to the point of mass sales and how do we become a corporate to taking the, pu the company public, a process I never did before. Again, exciting, I learned a lot. Now managing the company as a public company. We are now at the phase where we are growing beyond solar. So we are now whole new companies that we added with one deal and we need to bring them into the solar edge uh, atmosphere and their uh, entities to integrate. And we don't want to break things that are working well there. So we need to, to, to because we bought them because they have real value. So how do we combine enough and combine in the right way automotive, electronics, and UPS, and lithium-ion cells, which are sold not just for solar and storage, but for a range of... So it's very exciting now, this growth from a purely solar corporate to an energy larger corporate. So as long as there is something new and exciting for me, I'm happy. What is the one question or the one piece of advice that you would give young entrepreneurs thinking about building their businesses? What's the one piece of advice that you would give them? It's going to be... 10 times more complicated than what you think. I cannot remember a single thing that was as complicated as I thought it would be, and most things were 10 times more complicated than what I thought it's gonna be. The minute you realize that, uh, the minute you can endure the long run, because it is hard, there are a lot of challenges. The minute you understand that when someone tells you, I'm gonna buy from that point to an actual order, there's an ordeal of 
something and the minute you are everything is going to be much more complicated than what you imagine the minute that sets in your head everything becomes much easier why has israel been such a great incubator for, for entrepreneurs because we are we are not afraid to make mistakes and many israelis have the self-confidence to skip the holes in their mental process business plan so we had no idea how are we going to build a manufacturing organization that can manufacture a million pieces a month right we never did that before but we said we'll start and we'll learn and we'll bring professionals and we'll make mistakes and it will work. same thing for we never did inverters we'll start and we'll the self confidence that many israelis have they yebe said there on one end and the basic willingness you know that everybody hears and learns this from from, from grade school even Uh, he who doesn't uh, uh, make mistakes is the one that doesn't do uh, uh, anything. If, if you don't make mistake, it means that you didn't do um, anything. That is embedded to Israelis. We're not afraid of making mistakes because we are more afraid of not doing anything. That with unbased on self-confidence, that uh, I think is the right combination. Lior Handelsman, thank you very, very much for your time. We really appreciate it. This thank is you very great. Much. And I'm looking forward to hopefully continuing to watch how the company grows and really thank make you. an impact in this world. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the senior research analyst is Lior Levin. If you have a startup that you think we should feature on air, please email me at yigal.marcus at bernstein.com or at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. No good startup in Israel is too big or too small. A big, very special thank you to my employer, Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, who has been incredibly supportive of this initiative. And please share these podcasts with your friends, like us on Facebook, and please, please, please rate us on iTunes. Until next time, Thank you for listening.